When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Robert Hilburn, and you're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. Have a great day. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Hey folks, welcome back for another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon. Uh, happy to be here as always as part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, uh, available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. So, this episode's going to be about something I've brought up from time to time. It's kind of a concept, kind of a jokey little thing that I like to call, go to Vancouver and try harder. Uh, there was this sort of situation in the hair metal years, uh, starting kind of in the mid-80s, uh, ramping up to the early 90s when uh, everything was in flux uh, by the uh, by the influx of uh, of grunge uh, you know an, an hour hour and a half whatever it is south of Vancouver uh, into Seattle so Vancouver of course is this uh, is this beautiful city in British Columbia I'm from British Columbia I've lived in Vancouver three times um, there's mountains, there's sea, there's uh, nice topography, very expensive real estate, just a beautiful city. Uh, you know, the one negative about it is it rains a lot there, just like it does in Seattle. But uh, so uh, essentially uh, what happens, though, in Vancouver is there's a situation where these big bands from the States... Um, decide that it's time to try harder, it's time to clean up our act, it's time to get some fresh air, it's time to get out of L.A., or even worse, get out of, you know, New York, uh, and uh, and go to another country, but a country that's not so strange, uh, but just get away from it all and, uh, and try to make that big record and try harder. So why do they go to Vancouver? Well, just a little bit of a history on what happens here. So um, the likes of Bruce Fairburn, Bob Rock... Uh, Mike Fraser is a mixer. Brian Adams as a big superstar uh, that, you know, basically has been a, a, a big star in terms of, uh, you know, guitar rock, Bruce Springsteen-esque guitar rock, John Cougar. Um, Brian Adams, uh, starting in about, uh, you know, 1982. 
big star there, uh, outside songwriter, buddy of his, buddy of Bruce Fairburn, Jim Valance. So you get this little cabal of people and you get some studios there, um, particularly the one we're going to talk about the most, Little Mountain Studios. But so what happens, uh, you know, as we ramp up to this and how this this sort of history happens three key bands prism uh kind of a big canadian band bruce fairburn was uh was part of that band but then just kind of became producer uh as i mentioned brian adams coming up but also the other big band out of vancouver um that was produced by bruce fairburn uh you know get getting up um getting super famous in terms of actually you know an important band in this proto hair metal situation that would be Loverboy. Uh, Loverboy, you could call them pomp rock, pop rock, proto hair metal, whatever. They were a multi-platinum act uh, that came out of Vancouver and sort of established this not so much sound, but this uh, accessibility and corporateness, I suppose, to this Vancouver situation, which again, probably to sum up, uh, literally coming into it, it's about it's about Bruce Fairburn, but as artists, it's about Loverboy, it's about Brian Adams. That's really all Vancouver has going for it, until um, Bruce Fairburn produces uh, an album for Bon Jovi, uh, Bon Jovi, um, Slippery When Wet. We're not going to include Bon Jovi in this, because I have some other ones I want to talk about more, but Bon Jovi is a super, super important band in this whole thing. This record goes on to sell like 28 million copies worldwide, and Bruce does a bunch of albums for them. They become one of the biggest bands of all time. And this Vancouver connection is a big, big uh, part of their success. So let's get into it. Let's get into our five songs in history and five songs with Martin Popoff with our first selection. Let's take a listen and then we'll discuss. This is Aerosmith with Ragdoll. All right, so the other big band, uh, probably the biggest band in terms of this association with Vancouver, uh, is Aerosmith. Again, a band that, uh, you know, we've called this episode Go to Vancouver and Try Harder. I was actually going to try get into the title something about sobering up and getting clean because that's also a big part of this Go to Vancouver situation. So Aerosmith is trying this as well, but, uh, but Aerosmith's big problem is um, they are mounting this comeback. You know, they've got the band uh, back intact after Rock in a Hard Place. Um, but then they do Done With Mirrors. Uh, so the band is all back together. They're on Geffen. Um, this was supposed to be their, um, you know, rejuvenation record. But it was so murky and garagey and strange and not accessible. I mean, it's pretty accessible, but nothing really much happened uh, on this record for them. So... They do this Vancouver thing. They get with Bruce Fairburn. And what happens? They also get with Jim Valance. And I picked this song because it is a Jim Valance co-write on this. There's three or four songs co-written by him. Um, but the the thing you get with Permanent Vacation as a record, 1987, uh, you get a lot of bells and whistles. You, got, you get a lot of kind of... Um, 
you know, sound effects going on. You've got an instrumental on there. You've got a massive power ballad in Angel. Um, you've got Hearts Done Time, big heavy song. Um, Dude Looks Like a Lady, Ragdoll, um, Magic Touch, which is kind of like a hair metal-y thing. So this record sounds like a big corporate record. And again, it, it really kind of establishes this idea of go to Vancouver and try harder. It sounds like a record where the band was really firing on all cylinders. They're taking outside advice in this this pretty seasoned um, producer by this time, Bruce Fairburn. Um, uh, this this uh, exotic uh, locale away from home, um, Jim Valance in as a songwriter, and you know to uh, to underscore how important this is for them, it becomes a massive record. But then they also do Pump here, and they also do Get a Grip, and and the thing is, I mean, those three records. This is probably the biggest comeback story you can imagine of a 70s band. Other bands came back. Kiss came back. Alice Cooper came back. Hart came back. Uh, but but nobody kind of came back bigger than Aerosmith across these three records. And they have this strong association with, uh, with Vancouver. Okay, so moving on, our second selection. Let's take a listen and we'll discuss. This is The Cult with Sweet Soul Sister. Okay, so a little bit of a different situation. The Cult is actually in a good place uh, with their electric album produced by Rick Rubin. Kind of is, well, it is a huge hit. Um, but now they have to follow it up. And what Vancouver represents to the Cult is this idea of, again, trying harder. But, you know, as we've discussed in our Rick Rubin um, episode, usually there's a falling out with Rick Rubin. There's there's this idea that, you know, bands didn't get along. We don't know if he did much work. We need more direction, more guidance. So the cult is a situation where they are raising the stakes. They're trying to, um, you know, take it that next step. And now there is this established a track record of uh, this going to Vancouver and trying harder, actually working out for bands, working out for Aerosmith, working out for Bon Jovi. Um, So they do this record, Sonic Temple, and it is more corporate sounding. It has it has more textures to it, different ideas. Um, The 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 production is uh, is well, Rick's production is big and clean and smooth, but now it's actually a little bit big and clean and smooth with the extra corporate touch added. So Sonic Temple, I was less of a fan of this album, but it found the band actually getting bigger and bigger. Um, Everything would crash in flames after this. There'd be a lot of turmoil in the band. They'd they'd go for, um, you know, quite a non-commercial different direction and a different producer and not making it in Vancouver with their Ceremony album and then the Cult album. Uh, the self-titled and these are spread out over time so there's there's a lot of trouble to come but this does represent another situation of going to Vancouver and trying harder and the whole thing working out you've got that great iconic album cover of Billy Duffy you know leaping in the air legs splayed um it was just a great uh great situation for the cult but again uh there were murmurs 
that, um, you know, this band who used to be a post-punk band, the Southern Death Cult, um, you know, this this cool uh, snobby metal musicologist band that is slowly shifting over time through love, through, you know, the, the sacrilege of the ACDC electric album. And now an album that is kind of straddling the fence, but being a little corporate and sounding, frankly, very L.A., um, even more so than, than well... The Vancouver albums actually do all sound L.A. I mean, that's kind of a point we have to make in this episode. I mean, this is literally very, very Sunset Strip L.A. Uh, type music that you're getting out of this other country, Canada. Okay, so uh, let's actually take a short break and hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. When we dropped the first few episodes of Rock and Roll Archaeology into the feed three and a half years ago, little did we know that this telling of rock and roll history would become a pantheon of rock and roll podcasts. Since many of you first joined us on our rock and roll exploration, the halls of the rock and roll pantheon have filled with shows like Deeper Digs in Rock, Rock and Roll Librarian, Muses, Art of Rock with Caution Friends, Real Rock with the Reverend Andy King, Miss Pamela's Pajama Party, Vinyl Snob, and more. We are proud of this one-of-a-kind approach to an audio magazine of high-quality shows. That is Pantheon, and thank you for your support. We couldn't have done it without you, our diggers who listen to all of our shows. And now, we are excited to let you know that every show available as part of Pantheon can be found in their own podcast feed to subscribe to in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the shows you've come to love. We look forward to adding more shows to fill the halls here in our Pantheon of Rock and Roll and find them all at PantheonPodcast.com. Keep up the rockin'. All right, moving on in History in Five Songs. This episode is called Go to Vancouver and Try Harder. Here's a graphic example of that. Uh, let's take a listen first. This is Motley Crue with Rattlesnake Shake. All right, so that's Motley Crue off of the band getting progressively worse and worse. The drugs are getting worse. They're not trying hard. Um, they're phoning it in. Basically, the excitement level from Shout at the Devil has worn off progressively through Theater of Pain and Girls, 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 and they need a rethink. They need to clean up. They're going to die. They need they need some rehab, um, and they also need some outside help to, uh, to just basically give them a shot of energy. So what does Motley Crue do? They go to um they go to they go to vancouver and um you know i mean vancouver you you are you are surrounded by uh, you know the notorious strip club number five orange there's richards on richards there's uh club soda i mean it's bands are partying when they go to vancouver they're enjoying being away from home um but you know also at this time Aerosmith is there doing pumps, so Steven Tyler even does backup vocals on this, and he hangs out with the band. So, you know, I don't know if things are actually working out on this on this you know you know full blown kind of rehabbing, cleaning up thing. But Doctor Feelgood undoubtedly is 
uh, basically the the blueprint of Motley Crue, uh, you know, the the amalgamation of the blueprint across those four records, done perfectly, done super corporate, done clean, done well, done super try harder. So you get these innovative rhythms that you hear on this song, which, uh, you know, this rhythm that you heard in this track is also echoed in Dr. Feelgood. So you get Tommy trying some cool, innovative things. The production is incredible. At this point, we aren't with Bruce Fairburn. We are with Bob Rock. So Bob Rock's history, just briefly, is he comes up into the ranks and becomes one of the top producers in rock and roll history, um, you know, through his... uh, through his much more um, anonymous or modest roots in a band called the Paolas. The Paolas were kind of like a poppy punk uh, band out of Vancouver. You know, certainly they weren't the subhumans or DOA. Um, but no, they were uh, they were essentially uh, post-punk. Um, and so he was the guitarist in that band. So he comes to producing, you know, from a, uh, from a good place, from being a musician in a band, uh, being a writer. And, uh, and so he's in here, um, working, uh, working on this, uh, this Motley Crue album. And it's a, it's fantastic. It's full of all, you know, kickstart my heart. Um, and you know, uh, just good party rock. A lot of the number five oranges in this. This is a classic stripper album. Um, it it becomes a huge album. It it brings Motley Crue, you know, back into um, you know the good graces of fans who were starting to grumble that uh, they they were just too uh, you know stoned and drunk all the time to actually you know want to make good records and and. You know, frankly, the theater of theater of pain and girls, girls, girls are considered somewhat phoned in Motley Crue albums. It's a dark time for the band, but they are back and uh, and and doing, you know, doing as well as they can within the confines of Motley Crue. Of course, it all goes pear shaped after this. Anyways, Vince is out of the band. Um, they do the record with John Karabi. They come back. It's a it's a spotty future history after this. This is essentially the peak. Um, commercially, I wouldn't say creatively. You know, I personally am a big fan of the self-titled album and Generation Swine. Um, but this is, uh, you know, absolutely as good as it was going to get uh, within the party rock, the stripper metal, the, the hair metal of uh, context. Okay, so um, moving on. Um, number four in our history in five songs. Yes, we're at number four. Uh, let's take a listen and then we'll, we'll discuss. This is ACDC Money Talks. Right, so ACDC again, big problem. Blow up your video, uh, fly on the wall. Uh, even going back to uh, Flick of the Switch, you know these records were not that well received. I mean, this was a massive band with Highway to Hell and Back in Black, and then things you know started going down a little, but they were still huge with For Those About to Rock. But Blow Up Your Video was the absolute nadir. Like, what does that even mean? Blow Up Your Video? It's just a stupid title. The production, the Vandy Young production, was bad on that record. So. 
ACDC needs to go to Vancouver and try harder. And uh, and they do. They're working with Bruce Fairburn and and Mike Fraser, you know, very important part of this engineering and, and a mixer guy. Um, and uh, and, you know, they love it so much that they would they will go back in the future. I mean, Vancouver becomes a very important town for ACDC moving forward. But what do you get on this record? You get, you know, a song like Money Talks with the annoying words smushed together, just like there's no apostrophe in the razor's edge always bothered me. Um, but you get Thunderstruck on here. You get Are You Ready? Two massive, you know, sports stadium songs. You get super crisp, clear production. You get a lot of... um a lot of sort of energy into the songs. They haven't really changed their formula. You know, in conjunction with Bruce Fairburn coming in, you also get Chris Slade on drums. You get a very exacting, almost Pantera-esque, um, clean, electro-electronic drum sound on this. So it's a super snappy album, but just like the Motley Crue, there's this sort of uh, rejuvenation of energy uh, into the formula, and this becomes a massive, massive album for them again. It's their best-selling album. Uh, really, it's actually their best-selling album. They'll never sell this many records ever again moving forward, and it was the best-selling album since... Um, for those about to rock. So it, so, you know, it outsold the three before it. So big, big, uh, you know, career re- rejuvenation for ACDC at this time. Couldn't have come at a better time. Um, you know, grunge was going to take over, but this gave them a little bit of a slingshot effect into their classic rock status, you know, legend status that, you know, feel, you know, um, did them well throughout the, uh, the entire rest of their career. So, Moving on, we're up to number five. This is our last one in um, History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Go to Vancouver and try harder. This is Poison with Ride the Wind. Take a listen. Okay, so Poison, uh, interesting situation. Uh, it's almost what you get here is the mirroring of the Motley Crue situation. Poison is like Motley Crue in so many ways, um, but they also have um, a little bit of this um, Cinderella-esque, and uh, frankly, to go back uh, further, uh, although these you know these bands go together, actually, UFO, Thin Lizzy, they have uh, the contemporaneous with the Bruce Springsteen thing, but so the Bruce Springsteen thing moving forward, Cinderella, Bon Jovi, Poison, they all have that, uh, you know, John Cougar, of course, at the time. But they all have that sort of, um, you know, these these vignettes of American life situation. Now, Poison, so their try harder situation is they're making a record that's a, a little bit, a, a little darker, a little more reflective, a little bit more these stories, these Bruce Springsteen s, more John Cougar, I suppose. And actually, frankly, because we are talking about hair metal here. So the closest derivation really is Bon Jovi. And so you get that echo of the of the Vancouver experience from Bon Jovi. But here, Poison is in Vancouver doing this uh, this flesh and blood album, this slightly darker album. So 
you know, even look at the album covers from Open Up and Say Ah uh, through to, you know, the the most the biggest travesty, the the debut. Look what the cat dragged in. But here you get a, an album cover that reflects this as well. You get you get the tattoo of uh, of flesh and blood off of Ricky Rocket, I believe it is. Uh, they were actually going to use a one where there's still kind of like blood and it's it was like freshly done, um, but they cleaned it up a little. But it's still a dark album cover to go with songs that, like I say, are a little more reflective. It's not all like that. You still get, you know, Unskinny Bop on here, um, but something to believe in, you know, big power ballad. Uh, but this Ride the Wind, you know, you get, you get a little bit of the biker thing going on in there, I suppose. Um, so yeah, so this is, this is their situation. And again, we're back this isn't Bob Rock. This is Bruce Fairburn and the Mike Mike uh, Fraser team, and uh, and so it's there. Go to Vancouver and try harder albums. So there it is. That is five that uh, exemplify this idea of of what these bands were getting out of Vancouver. Just wanted to mention a few other things about this situation. Um, you know, uh, I actually, long story, I had a little bit of a side gig, a job uh, where we were going after uh, uh, musician rights on all these types of records. And and I did a lot of work with a lot of records that were done there. And the other thing you get out of this Vancouver situation is you get a lot of these uncredited or semi-credited background vocalists in there. You get kind of like guest situations. You do get the outside writer situation. You get a bit of guest keyboards. So, it you know, in, in many ways, it is a big kind of core corporate cabal um, you know, big, big record label situation, roll the dice, big budgets uh, to get these records done. I just wanted to mention a few kind of partials or problematic ones that that have the spirit of this, um, but some, you know, some work getting done there. Um, you know, Whitesnake, Whitesnake is kind of part of this situation a little bit. Scorpions is a little bit uh, part of this situation. The Page Plant album, a bit of that record was done here. David Coverdale, Jimmy Page. Uh, Metallica, you know, he's, they're working with Bob Rock. They have their massive, massive, massive album, the Black Album, um, you know, you know, uh, with a lot of credit going to uh, Bob Rock as well. So, so Bob Rock gets big out of all this, and you get these albums that are are actually so complicated that they aren't little mountain albums per se but but they they just get made over mountains of time and mountains of money gets spent and some of it gets done in in vancouver ergo you've got this white snake scorpions page plant uh type situation um so there you have it that was um you know something i always wanted to talk about a little bit give kudos to this situation because you know i'm sitting here in toronto we really don't have this situation here um you know, there, there's sort of a '70s things going going on with um, with the likes of Bob Ezrin and Phase One and Jack Richardson and stuff, but it doesn't have uh, this big, bright, shiny. Uh, heavy metal, big stakes, multi-multi-platinum thing that we got out of this uh, strange little wrinkle um, in recording history that we get out of Vancouver, BC. So there you go. We are done. History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Um, Go to Vancouver and try harder. Go to my Facebook and try hard to give me some comments or some show ideas. Um, You can uh, go to to the the site I have set up for this show and uh, or you can go to my regular Facebook, um, Twitter me as well. You can email me directly at martinp at inforamp.net. You can go to martinpopoff.com where there's a list of my 80-ish plus uh, books. Um, uh, all on heavy metal topics. I sign and uh, send them out of the office here. Um, PayPal buttons there for international, Canada, America. 
that is it for now. Um, we shall talk to you next time. Uh, until then, uh, go listen to some of these big corporate records. Um, there is a lot of ear candy on them. Stick on uh, your very best set of headphones, and uh, yeah, you will you'll find a lot interesting across these records made in Vancouver. Bye for now. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.